fancy job, and it makes a man watchful and a little lonely. Come on in for an evening of poems and stories about the American West. A land of legend, of romance, of friendship and courage. A motherload of remembrance. A true showcase of the Old West with the old cowboy, J.C. Holsey. Have you ever sat around a campfire telling or listening to stories? Perhaps it was in front of a fireplace or at a slumber party with your friends. Maybe it was seated at your grandfather's feet listening to his stories. You know, I think that's one of the greatest things about being an author. I can listen to the stories that my characters tell me and then put them down on paper to share with you. From the beginning of time, people have told stories to their friends and families. Tales of adventure, hard times, interesting people, frightening experiences in everyday life. Sometimes these were truths, others exaggerations, and occasionally nothing more than a tall tale. The more interesting of these narratives were passed from friend to friend and from father to son, sometimes altering along the way of growing in strength to the point that they became legends, folklore, or questionable myths. Oral history, proverbs, jokes, and popular beliefs were interwoven into music, dance, and sometimes even into history itself. In many of these old legends told around the campfire or a roaring hearth, can be heard the approach of galloping horses, the whispers of phantoms in ghost town, the far-off sounds of pistols blazing, and the sighing moans of the winds drifting through the ancient trees of hunting, mining, and cowboy camps. If you've never enjoyed hearing some of these campfire stories, I'd encourage you to check out some of the stories that authors have penned for you to do just that. I'd be remiss, though, if I didn't suggest some authors to you. Of course, you know who I'm going to suggest. Yeah, I'm going to suggest any and all of Outlaw's publishing authors. John D. Fye, Jr., Kenneth S. Pratt, Travis McGoy, Denny Gager, Paul L. Thompson, Chimp Robertson, Debbie Reed, W.M. Montague, and the old cowboy himself, J.C. Hulsey. I guarantee you'll find some exciting stories that you'll want to share with your family, friends, and neighbors. A little bit later, we're going to be visiting with Sam Teague, founder and president of the Railroad Preservation Artifact Society. But right now, let's listen to a young lady sing. Here's Templeton Thompson with Settle Down, Cinderella.
Thank you, Templeton. That was great. Now listen up. The end of December, we're going to be doing a special tribute show for Hank Williams Sr. Some of our singers have agreed to sing one of Hank's songs for us on that show. Now I want to ask you if you'd like to sing a Hank Williams Sr. song on the show, send me an email, jc at outlawspublishing.com or jc at theoldcowboy.net. Now you need to reply real soon as we don't have much time to put it together. Also, if you're a singer, if you're a poet, an author, or you have a talent you'd like to share with us, send that email and let me know, jc at outlawspublishing.com or jc at theoldcowboy.net. Now let's visit with Sam Teague. We want to welcome to the Wild West Showdown today, Sam Teague, founder and president of the Railroad Artifacts Preservation Society. Welcome, Sam. Oh, thank you, JC. Are you writing a book, Sam? Yeah, at the moment I'm writing two books, and one of them has to do with more of the Old West. The Railroad Artifact Preservation Society in 2010 received a donation of a vintage 19th century passenger car. We found out through a long series of events, is partially while I wrote the book, is to tell the story of how we found all this out. But the, the car is Atchison and Topeka and Santa Fe passenger coach number 535, and it was built in 1887. It is the only remaining passenger coach left from Santa Fe's 19th century fleet. So we have that car now and we're working on fundraising and everything to get it restored back to original condition. How old is it? It's 128 years old, so it's it's from that Old West era. How did you find out its history? I was able to, through some detective work, retrieve a good bit of its history. When we got the car, we didn't really know anything. Uh, we didn't know what railroad it was from. We didn't know exactly how old it was. Turns out it was built by Barney and Smith Car Company, which went into business in 1849. So Barney and Smith existed from 1849 to 1921 when they went out of business. I wonder why they didn't succeed like Pullman did. Well... The Pullman Company kind of overtook uh, Barney and Smith. Barney and Smith were the premier car manufacturer all through the Civil War era and up until about the late or early 1920s or late 19, well, between uh, 1900 and 1920. They were doing great. Uh, but when they started making passenger coaches out of steel as opposed to wood, it really threw Barney and Smith for a loop, and they just never could keep up with Pullman, and, and they just kind of faded away. So all of us today, you know, that were born in the 40s and 50s, and we remember Pullmans. We know the Pullman car had fold-down beds. They had dining cars. What did they do for restrooms? Well, they had at least one restroom generally in each end of the car, or at least one end, uh, usually right inside the doorway entry to the car. It was just a little small room kind of in the corner and it generally had uh, not even a porcelain toilet. It, it was basically just kind of made out of wood and then it, it would have a little countertop and sink and maybe a water cooler 
which wasn't a refrigerated unit or anything. It was basically just kind of like a upside-down jug with maybe a block of ice in it. Back in the 1800s, that was about all they could do, you know, for passenger comfort. When did they start carrying passengers on trains? Passenger service on the Santa Fe kind of started out as what we call a mixed freight or a mixed train. You would have the freight train, and that would go between two points or two locations. If there was enough people interested in traveling, they would stick a passenger car or two, depending on demand, onto that freight train. What I'm saying is, is when they started out, they, they, there wasn't enough demand a lot of times, so they would just kind of tag on some passenger cars to a freight train that was already going in a certain direction or to a certain place. Then as the country got developing more and people started spreading west and everything, then they had uh, more of a need for what we would call a passenger train. When did they change from wooden seats to padded seats? There probably wasn't a time when you could say there was only wooden seats and then they started changing over to uh, the cloth or the cushion seats. Because what really happened was that was not so much a difference in the, the time era as it was the class of the car. You had what you call your first class cars, which were very ornate, and very comfortable, very Victorian and lavish. You'd have your second class coaches, which is, would have more of a leatherette type upholstery on them, a more of a cheap cheaper looking upholstery. We were, the first class coaches were, were very high quality and the third-class seats, they were just benches, is that correct? No, I don't, I don't recall, the, at least, I don't recall the Santa Fe at least having any third-class. I think it was just first-class and, and second-class. How about the Hollywood movies that we watched? Did they depict the trains pretty close to what they were? If you're talking about movies that were made in the, in the 30s and 40s, I think what you saw in those movies were pretty close to being authentic because that was really what was truly going on at the time as far as travel by train. So they didn't really have to fake that too much. Have you always been interested in trains? Did you play with model trains as a kid? Yes, I did. I was born in the early 50s. By the time I was old enough to be aware of very much, you know, six, seven years old, model trains were the main toy for kids to play with. I mean, you know, we played cowboys and Indians, and when we weren't doing that, we were playing with model trains. And model trains were in all the department store windows and, and all that sort of thing. So I grew up liking trains and did some model railroading, you know, with, uh, of course, nowadays I do it with HO scale and everything, but back then, most kids had the Lionel 027 type trains at the three rail type deal. And I built a layout or two as a kid with some of that type of equipment. And as I got older and got married and had a son of my own, I kind of got him started into model trains and we still are at it today. And he's, uh, he's about 40 years old. I guess I've just always kind of something I just kind of grew up with, always had an appreciation for. However, I have never had a job working on the railroad in any capacity. So where did you get your experience to be able to work on these trains the way you do? Well, I think it's just a kind of a life, my lifelong interest has caused me to uh, read about trains. I've read a lot of books about trains. When I got involved with the Madam Queen in 1992, I met some of the crew members that were still alive. I got to ask them a lot of questions about how the thing operated and what those days were like. Just self-taught in that, really. So what did you do for a living? Most of my life, I have been the construction field or the remodeling field. I've done some other things like truck driving and 
and even law enforcement for a while and things like that. But I guess the biggest thing I've been involved in is uh, construction. How did you get hooked up with this Railroad Artifacts Preservation Society? You know, we started out to save a locomotive that was just sitting outdoors. I walked up to it in 1992, and it had been sitting out, outdoors in Amarillo since 1957. It was starting to look bad. You know, anything that sits out in the Texas weather that long is going to start looking bad. And, and we wanted to uh, fix it up and stabilize it cosmetically and maybe try to put a roof over it or something to help it bear the weather a little better, which we did. We did cosmetically stabilize it, and we started talking about putting a roof over it, and our architect said, uh, time you put a roof up in this West Texas wind, you might as well build a building because you're just about engineer one anyway. So we started thinking about a, a building a building around it, and things have just kept expanding, and now we're talking about a complete restoration to steam of that locomotive eventually and what we call a mixed-used uh, real estate development, which... It's kind of like Railroaders Disneyland to be built here in Amarillo to attract tourism and all kinds of benefits. So the dream has just kept expanding, 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 and uh, we're just still working towards that goal. How does it make you feel to achieve something like this? It has really been uh, kind of a mind-blowing experience for me because when we went to cosmetically stabilize the engine, and so that's when we started the Railroad Artifact Preservation Society to, through a series of events of where the locomotive was sitting in front of the depot. And since that depot had changed hands over the years to many different owners, the owner in 2002 wanted uh, the engine moved. How much does the engine weigh? Uh, it's just under 900,000 pounds. How in the world are you going to move something that large? The way we ended up doing it was... It was sitting on a section of track in front of the depot in Amarillo. What we did is we got a contractor, and he laid rail in front of the engine and connected it to the track that it was sitting on. Basically, we moved it by laying track uh, down the street to the location where it had to go. The trick came when you got to an intersection and had to turn it 90 degrees. And uh, we accomplished that by disconnecting the tender from the locomotive so you wouldn't have such a long piece of equipment. We would roll the engine into an intersection on, on temporary track, and under that track panel would be gravel or sand. And that sand acted like little ball bearings, I guess you would say. And with heavy front loaders and uh, heavy equipment and everything, they spun the engine on the track, which was on top of the sand in the intersection and got it pointed the way we needed to go and just started laying track down the street again. How long did it take you? It took two days. How far did you move it? Uh, we moved it a total of four blocks. Do you think your model train experience helped you do this job? I, I think more than my model train experience, it was my construction experience. I had been a superintendent on jobs and I was used to uh, directing people and showing them how to get things done. And But this contractor didn't really need that. Uh, he was very capable of moving steam engines. In fact, he had moved the 2926 in Albuquerque a couple of years before that. And so he knew what he was doing and really needed help. Where, I, where my leadership kind of came in was getting everybody else in town ready to go before he got here to do his thing. And this society is a nonprofit organization, is that right? It's a 501c3 nonprofit organization, corporation. The primary purpose is to take care of the Madam Queen and 
for future generations, but the secondary purpose is to preserve historic railroad artifacts of the United States. And you're writing a book about these experiences? One of the books that I've uh, written about, and I have that book almost ready to go to press. I need to add a few more pictures and drawings and things, but the text is written, and it's all about the history of the car and, and how I was able to find out what it is when nobody really knew. So it's about the car and the car's history and what we found out about it and what we plan for it in the future. If somebody wanted to make a donation to your society, how would they go about doing that? Do you have a mailing address? Railroad Artifact Preservation, 1549 Smiley Street, Amarillo, Texas, 79106. How about finding you on the internet? Okay, the website address is railroadartifactpreservation.org. You could type in Railroad Artifact Preservation on Facebook and it would probably come up. Any donation is tax deductible, is that correct? Tax deductible, yes. It's uh, you know, of course, you always need to check with your accountant or whatever to see if it really applies to you, how it's going to apply to your particular situation and your income. But in general, any donation to us uh, is a uh, tax-deductible donation. Sam, we're glad that you came to visit with us today on the Wild West Showdown, and I want to give you a personal invitation from the old cowboy to you to come back and visit anytime. Oh, thanks. I'd be glad to do that. How about some more music? This is Maddie Ayler with an original song, Growing Up. One day when she was five years old, listening to stories her grandpa told, she said, I just want to grow up He looked at her and with a smile said Baby though you've got a while You don't want to deal with grown up stuff and What came next was the best advice She'd ever received in her whole life Honey, you can write a song about our
So much, Maddie. That was great. I wonder what the magic pill is or what the magic formula is for somebody to become successful as a singer. Of course, in my opinion, all of our singers are already very successful. But what does it take to reach that place where your name becomes a household name? I hope and pray that each of our singers get what they want and deserve so much. Next week's show is going to be the Wednesday before Christmas. Now, I know the majority of you will either be visiting with family or you'll have family visiting with you. So it'd be the perfect opportunity for you to introduce them to the Wild West Showdown. Let them know that we've got a great show and you want them to share it with their friends just like you're sharing with them. Why don't we listen to some cowboy poetry? This is Mark Munzert with Cowpokes in a Heap. Old hats at the wagon gate, debating about the trail. These cowpokes tempt fate while others ship by rail. Boots are made for working, trousers old and worn. Coffee's pert near perkin'. Wake up, it's almost morn. The crew begins assembling, the remuda's coming in. Thirty horse ground trembling, let dawn's long rise begin. The trail boss bellows, wake up! And the cook clangs with his metal spoon. Fill your bellies, boys! Ain't no rest till noon! Old bones, they are a aching. The young'uns are quick to chow. How about some of this here bacon? Why, sure, I'll have some sow. <laughs> First snicker of the new dawn, sleep rub from their eyes. Breakfast grub quick gone, a hungry bunch of guys. The leathers are a-creaking as we coo to our mounts. The campfire like a beacon as the sun begins moon's trounce. Tighten up that cinch, best tuck them bedrolls in. I listen to morning orders as I take a pinch from a little tin. Russ and Joe, you ride flank. 
Henry, you got drag. Aw, shucks, boss. I know they's got rank, but all I'll do is gag. Ain't got no time for favorites, friend, so keep your rag on high. Don't let none get around the end. Out here, they'll up and die. So up into the foothills and down the valleys wide, river crossings, test of wills, riding side by side. I don't think we lost one, and it's a dang good thing. Morning's nearly over as some of the old boys begin to sing. Boss says, pull up here and take a rest. Give them bovine a break. Richard, check up over that crest. The trail should sort of snake. Jerky and a biscuit is what you get for Chuck. Maybe a swig of lukewarm coffee if you're quick and in luck. The afternoon across a former prairie, sand dry to the bone. The wind whipped our butts that day, wore down my quarter roan. The cows too tired for bawling, horses with shut eye. Fire, stare, sleep a-calling under darkening starry sky. Again we come to nightfall, fed then fall toward sleep. Coyotes howling night call, cowpokes in a heap. Do we have some talented people on our show or not? Thank you, Mark, for that great poem. And a special thanks goes to Maddie Ehlers and Templeton Thompson for their music. And thanks to Sam Teague for being our special guest on today's show. You need to check out all these folks on Facebook, YouTube, and other places on the Internet. Now all you cowboys gather around for some good old-fashioned cowboy wisdom. Remember that silence is sometimes the best answer. This is the old cowboy saying adios and happy trails. Come on back next week to the Wild West Showdown with the old cowboy J.C. Holsey.